What's up, former party people? This is Jerry, you know, the one who actually combs his hair on the A is for Alcoholic podcast. Now, if you're finding value in listening to the AIFA podcast every week and you want to support sharing it with others, we invite you to become a sustaining monthly or per show contributor. Go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. It's super easy and it only takes a quick moment. It's about as easy as buying one of those pre-cooked space chickens from the grocery store, taking it outside, giving it a big old kiss, and kicking it into traffic. (laughs) Why would you do that? Anyway, you do you, and I'll do me. Again, go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. And with that, people, let's start the show. A is for Alcoholic is a program about recovery. My name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Jerry, and I'm an alcoholic. Join us as we go through the alphabet of alcoholism one letter at a time. So, once again, back in the house with Jerry Wagner, this is John Staley talking alcoholism, recovery, and um, sobriety in the best way we know how, which is not always perfect, it's not always kind, it's not always fun or entertaining but you know we try to sort the shit out as best we can and make some sense of today and Uh i think that that's that's really um something important to remember is that you know we're just trying to make sense of today because we can't i can't i can't make sense of the whole world and i can't make sense of this whole last six months and i i certainly can't make sense of the next six months that i don't know what exists and so it's like okay what's in my little world like what if what if Jerry? What if you didn't live with the internet? Do you remember when we didn't live with the internet? Do you have like when uh, we lived up on thirty sixty? And I mean, I know yeah. we were drunk, and it was like a constant, like chaotic struggle of pain and you know suffering and fucking recycling bins being overflowed. But but you know, like there was a time where it was like this was just our life was just here, and sure you got some news here and there, but it didn't have to inundate you constantly right yeah um yeah we filled that time though we filled that time with drinking and partying it's true there was a lot of time to fill yeah there was a lot of time you had to fill up and uh remember we had that poker night in the garage we would it was it lasted a few months we do like a poker night every wednesday night it would be like we were Mm -hmm. such idiots like we were such 90s idiots we were like there's there's the girls table over there because like well women would show up and then we'd be like no girls sit over there we said i remember saying like no girl first we didn't want girls because what would happen is and this is totally ridiculous but uh, let's just let's just put it out there this was 1999 women would show up and then nobody would the men would not care about poker and they'd be more interested by the women this is how this was our this was our thinking and and i i don't know when we were we wanted to be serious about poker I was like, come on, man. Right. We just wanted to Our quarter fun. ante. I'm like over here like, yo, can I win like four bucks off my fucking Grateful Dead roommate who dresses up like Pan every Halloween? Or can I try to have sex with one of these girls who might mm-hmm. let me do that? Which now that I look back and think on it, I was like, man, but that's so – I mean it's gross like the way we yeah. acted. I mean yeah. we – poker was kind of fun, but that whole misogynist, chauvinist way of thinking, it was so <clears> – <throat> Mm-hmm. normal for our time period though like the sure. way we were raised you know I, I, sure and I, I don't know if i'm necessarily more woke now or more aware now i i guess yeah i would like to say i'm more aware of things now but 
But yeah, so without the internet, though, I mean, we're gonna, I'm gonna pivot off that. But sure. <laughs> I, we had a lot of time to fill, but mm-hmm. we did fill our time, and we were creative people. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily positive creative, but mm-hmm. we were trying to make things. You know, we liked to make things together and do things. And sure, this is a better example of that. You know, here. This is a far better yeah. example than the. I wish. Yeah. I wish I knew where that video, that movie was that we made. This was early on. This is before like the 03 uh, cassette, uh, mm-hmm. video cassettes. But like this was, it was 99. Like 99. It was, like a, it was yeah. like a drug deal gone bad. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Uh-huh. Yes, dude. Uh. We used ketchup for fake blood. And then we had a briefcase that had, goddamn like five giant Ziploc bags full of flour. And it was like $5,000 for like fucking 40 grand worth of <clears throat> fake cocaine or whatever. We did not yeah, do our research that. on that. Yeah. But no. But yeah, man, it's it's funny to think about like those those ideas. And so when you think about those those old ideas about how we needed to organize our lives and how we need to spend our time and certainly about how we thought about women and um and I think this this also goes back this connects to the idea of recovery and old ways of thinking. We read it in the big book, we mm. read it in, you know, in right. lots of any I would I would posit to say that any Literature about recovery from drugs and alcohol has something about old ways of thinking and changing your mindset. And I would hope so, right? Because I think <laughs> that's would... tantamount to like making such a monumental change in your life mm-hmm. that's changing the way you think, you know? Yeah. And um and so I mean I'm thankful that I don't have I'm thankful that I don't have cigarette filled, you know, drunken poker nights of bullshit and misogyny in the garage now mm-hmm. i couldn't i couldn't cope with that i couldn't deal with that we were a nightmare for well me dude now. we're both like almost 50 we're not almost 50 but you know we're closer 45. to 50 than 30 mm-hmm. yeah i'll be 45 in a, a week but mm-hmm. yeah dude i just couldn't imagine a bunch of 45 year old dudes in the garage listening to ween and beck <laughs> and like, no girls allowed right we're like sit in our garage and smoke cigarettes and listen to ween and beck and play poker for quarters with the, mm-hmm. with the crew mm-hmm. you know saving yeah. up my change from the week uh can't yep. wait friday night poker can't night wait. Friday night poker night with the with the boys. With, yeah, with right. All the boys. Dude. So, yeah. so this I think is good. For, this is our topic today. Is going to be enabling behaviors. It's E. It's the letter cool. E, enabling behaviors. And it's not just being an alcoholic and having a sober spouse, or being the sober spouse and dealing with the alcoholic. Although, I mean, I want to talk right. to you about that a little bit too, um, because. I think that you and I have both been in relationships that on some level the person who was not the alcoholic was enabling whether they whether they knew it or not mm-hmm. you know like even with let's yeah. let's take our relationship in 1999 in the in the house in the garage we enabled each other you know now and I I think that there was this level of like no matter how poorly you behaved, it was excusable because then it gave me an excuse to behave poorly. So I would, I right. would, I would enable your bad behavior because then I couldn't be called out for mine. Yeah, and we would set the bar. It was our watermark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was the way we were acting with each other. Well, if that's acceptable and that's our bar, then hell, you know, I can always skirt that line until 
everybody around me agrees that it's unacceptable. The watermark was in the septic yeah. tank at that point, I think. Dude, the like, watermark <laughs> was mad low, dude. It was, yeah. Um, but but that's that's the thing, and that's so. And I don't want to say obviously that's not the that was not the only connection that we shared, or else we wouldn't be here now. Twenty right one almost 22 years later right <clears throat> which is a long time um maybe yeah, not in cosmic time. time but like in alcoholic time that's a long time um yeah but we were so quick to dismiss anything that happened the night before we were so quick to just be like oh he was drunk like how many times would you say that or how many times like for example, when we lived in Seattle, and you lived at the house up up north, and I lived kind of further south, and how many times did I flake on you or say we were going to come up or, you know, come hang out at the house because you had a kid at the time, and, you know, <clears throat> you were, quote-unquote, the more stable of any of us, if you can believe that, right. you know. I mean, right. I'm, sure, I'm sure you can. You were. <laughs> no, but, I know. Yeah. But, I mean, how many times did we flake on you about coming up to hang out? I mean... And how did I mean? A lot. And yeah. how, how did that make yeah. you feel? Did you were you able to? You never. I mean, I don't remember you being angry or expressing your mm-hmm. frustration. Maybe oh, I did that all the time though. Oh, but well, in different ways. <laughs> maybe not about that one thing in particular, but I was always pissed off about something. But I I can understand it now. It's like, well, who wants to get loaded around a three month old kid? You know. Mm-hmm. But I also, yeah, it would bum me out because I wanted to, I needed that. I felt like I, that was my pressure release and I needed it. And I wanted to have a good time with my buddies and drink like I wasn't a father to a three-month-old kid. And you know what oh. I mean? Like having a wife who was, you know, recuperating from giving birth and mm-hmm. dealing with all that. And yeah, I wanted to, I wanted that um, distraction from it. And so when you guys would be like, yeah, yeah, we're on our way up and then not come up because you'd all end up at some bar like yeah. let's stop for a couple on the way and then that that couple you stop for on the way would just turn into the rest of the Hours, night and then i yeah. yeah sitting there at the house being like they said they were going to bring me a bottle of whiskey and they didn't bring it so now i got to figure out a way to go get it too you know and i guess i'll just walk down there i, w- I couldn't go to that one liquor store on ninth because i had an arizona id and she wouldn't take it because it wasn't a driver's license it was an id but i didn't have a driver's license because i was drunk all the time and i didn't want to drive a car and so I had to go all the way down to the locks from like up in like Ninth and Holman up by like, if people live in Seattle, listen to this, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm ta- I think you know what I'm talking about up by the dicks. Mm-hmm. And let's just say it was like a four mile walk, just one way, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not my fucking out of shape drunk ass is not walking an eight mile walk in a circle to go get a bottle of whiskey, you know, I mean, I ended up taking the bus. Mm-hmm. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they would take my ID, but even then, that was a Mm-mm. that was a toss up. Like they might not that that day at the locks, I might get the young guy at the ponytail who's mad at me for whatever, and he's like, "I'm not taking your Arizona ID that never expires. This shit is fake news." <laughs> Basically, you know? and right. then it's you guys over at the schooner or whatever, just being like, "Yeah, we were gonna head up there, but uh, you know, so and so wanted to stop for a couple of quick snorts before the way up, and it just turned into an all night thing." So it was this enabling behavior there, though, because I was waiting, not only waiting for you guys to provide me with companionship and a distraction, but usually you guys were bringing me booze along with you because I hadn't figured out a way to get to where I needed to get to get booze, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think that the thing that we, 
we apologized for each other constantly. I know I did. I would just mm -hmm. dismiss it, whatever it was. It was like, oh, I would feel hurt or upset if somebody said something or if somebody was, you know, like flaky or didn't do what I wanted. And But I'd be like, oh, well, they were drunk. Oh, that's right. fine. That's just that's just that's just Jerry when he's drunk. That's just you know Coda when he's drunk. Like that's that's okay. Right. That's just that's just how he that's is. A, it's a watermark. It's mm -hmm. like that's our our bar right there. We've set that that uh, that that form of behavior. You know that 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 pattern mm -hmm. of behavior is acceptable to us because we are also guilty of it as well. So it's cool. It's good. And there was don't worry about it. You're fucked up. Right. <laughs> right yeah. and so and so uh, i was constantly let off the hook and mm -hmm. um it was all it did was lead to worse and worse and worse behaviors i mean i remember wishing i could explain to somebody when i would make plans and then i would flake on everybody and i wouldn't answer my phone that i would be laying in bed after like a three-day rumplemans bender and i was right. physically physically unable to get out of bed until like four or five in the afternoon and then, oh, no, I remember that. Oh, yeah. and it would hurt so bad. Like my, I can't, I can't believe that I didn't see anything wrong with it. That was just how you spend your right your hangover day. Oh, sorry, I can't. That's that was my, like Sunday. Yeah, Sunday, that was my yeah. hangover day. We had a friend who had a girlfriend who was really cool, and they were together for a few months. And our friend ended up breaking up with the girlfriend because she wanted to go out and do shit on her day off, which fell on his hangover day. Mm -hmm. And he was like, man, I can't get up and just be doing shit with her on our hang on my hangover day. That's my day to be hungover. So, you know, it, it, rather than fucking not drink that night or not drink so much that night, he was like, nah, I'm just the whole relationship's a loss. Fuck it. I don't want to continue this <laughs> relationship anymore. I'd rather just be hungover on that day, that which back then was like normal. It was like, yeah, that totally makes sense, dude. You know, but now it's like, damn, dude like your priorities you know like wh what are your val what's your value system like mm -hmm. yeah yeah man like that that really that was the price that was an acceptable price to pay to continue drinking like a fucking animal you know right and right. like hey man sunday sunday and monday are just shot Mm -hmm. Those aren't, those are days, I might be out at night, I probably will because I gotta roam around, but you know, all day Sunday, Monday, those days are just shot. That's just a lie in bed with a headache and diarrhea and <laughs> just wish I were dead. You know, that's my day. <laughs> Sunday's my headache, diarrhea mm -hmm. day, and then Monday is just, just probably just a headache. Jesus. Yeah. That sounds yeah. awful. Right now it does, but back then it was just what was acceptable. It was all yeah. part of the part of the. It was like ha it was like hazard pay is not the term I'm looking for, but it was just all part of the job. Just that's part of punching in, you know. I have this one yeah. memory of one of those days for me, and it was that apartment up on 65th, and it was it got it was getting later and later, and I knew I needed some food because I hadn't eaten either. I couldn't. I never felt like I could eat or even like handle water or anything. But I right. also I didn't want like. I don't know, but I remember ordering Chinese food, and so I would always mm -hmm. order like 50 or 60 bucks worth so that I would have it for like two or three days so I wouldn't have to think about food, which is really bad and kind of gross now that I think about it, and I remember having my laptop in bed and trying to just watch some movie to um, just to distract myself from the pain, and what I ended up finding, I don't know how I found it, so this is like 2007, it was that... 
it was that Robert De Niro movie called Stardust where it was like he's in space or some shit. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have this yes. really sad, painful memory of laying in bed under a stained fucking down comforter watching Stardust on my old chunky laptop eating fucking mm-hmm. noodles in bed sweating through a migraine yeah. sweating through a migraine with the shades drawn just like in hell like it was that was yeah. that's i i ugh. yes ugh. yeah it's ugh. it's just it's awful it's awful yeah you know and then when we talk about enabling too like enabling behaviors i almost feel like the person like if we're gonna think about relationships mm-hmm. too it's like the person who's in this relationship who may not be an alcoholic is still exhibiting alcoholic behaviors right right they, uh the, like what is acceptable to them is is you're their barometer you know it goes up and down with what's acceptable to you and this person's in tandem with you but they're not <clears> going <throat> through the drunken highs and lows they're just feeling it empathetically with you and trying to watching it from outside know, s- yeah, and trying to supplicate you or take care of you, and it's it's uh, those types of relationships are they're hard, they're difficult because mm-hmm. you know you and I we can talk from the alcoholic end of it. You know, right. I haven't been in a lot of relationships with other alcoholics where I was the non-alcoholic. Do you know what I mean? No. I, I you know my parents were alcoholics, and when I was a kid, I grew up with them when I wasn't drinking. But I also was I checked out. I wasn't around a lot, so. That could have also, you know, that could also be part of the enabling process or that that, mm-hmm. that that process. But, you know, the women I was with in my relationships, who they all enabled me because I looked for a type, you know, uh, unconsciously. I wasn't like consciously out there looking for someone who will put up my shit, put up with my shit. I just subconsciously looked for people who put up with my shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I would hang out with someone and if... They weren't willing to see me at my worst, horrible, blackout crying, punching myself in the face while and out. If they couldn't hang with that, then I didn't want to be with them. You know, mm-hmm. I, would, I would just split with them and then find someone else who's, who, whose barometer for what's acceptable was, would flex with, with me and my changes. You know, it's, it's, a, it's almost like, and I, I hate to speak on you know people in that position, but yeah, I really feel like it is also alcoholic behavior in their own sense. <clears throat> well, there's a reason there's a whole support group for these people as well, you know, because of dealing right, with the exactly, very specific yeah. um, problems of being in a relationship with somebody you love and care about who is afflicted with this disease of alcoholism who acts out because right. of it and harms you on a regular daily basis physically mentally emotionally you know financially spiritually Mm -hmm. every single way that that it does with your values and yeah Mm -hmm. and even in that it's like uh uh yeah it's it's i still i say say it all the time on the podcast but i still love that quote where it's like the alcoholics don't take spouses or relationships they take hostages you Mm -hmm. know like (laughs) yeah and i only chuckle on it because of the dark humor of that you know right yeah let me fucking push my will all over you and then you'll probably push your will all over on me back because we're both enabling each other you mm-hmm. know um the it, it, it's difficult everybody's situation is different people will stick around a situation because of a certain set of circumstances that that i'm not unaware of mm-hmm. Do you know what i mean and i can only paint it with a broad brush from my experience you know and 
Yeah. I think me even painting it from my experience that broad brush does a lot of people a disservice in a way because I don't know <clears throat> their specific circumstances. I can only, once again, you know, the caveat is I can only speak from my experience as you can as well. Sure. And we've been on one side of the boat. We haven't been on the other side of the boat. You know, we all, I only know what it's like to push my will on someone as a drunk. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's like. I kind of know in friend relationships what it's like to have other drunks push their will on me, but mm-hmm. those circumstances are different because I can always cut. Like, I don't have to hang out with you. I don't live with you, you know? Like, we're not in a relationship. Even with my roommates, I could just be like, fuck you, man, and just cut. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think I, again, I've never been as a non-alcoholic in a relationship with an alcoholic. But I know that mm-hmm. in the relationships I had with people who were non-alcoholics, <clears throat> I I was not always oblivious and very often very aware of the hurt and the pain that my actions brought. I was not, you know what I mean? Like it was it was expressed to me, you know, verbally and otherwise. Um, but I felt it, and along with that came with there was a lot of the shame and the guilt with hurting somebody else that you supposedly cared about or do care about and um and which just leads to more drinking right so we're not ever addressing the problem let alone the relationship problem and it may be that <clears throat> these relationships would not have worked out even if there was no alcohol involved but because of the right. alcohol and right. because of those things i mean i was i definitely saw a lot of the um the pain and um and hurt that I that I caused and I can still yeah in I can still feel it I can still see it I can still remember it and so I I use these moments now as markers for how I behave in my current relationship <clears throat> or even yeah. with with people in general it doesn't have to be in a in a marriage or a close yeah. friendship but also how I I'm- treat people in general in life you know regardless of the of the situation that i am not manipulating them that i'm not trying to get something from them that i am i am there to be loving and supportive and kind um but what do you think as far as enabling in like your relationship which has been had ups and downs you've been with the same person for a very long time and um and do you think what do i want to say like do you think there was enabling behavior on her part and was yeah, it yeah <laughs> absolutely and yeah and she'll tell you mm-hmm. yes you know yeah. what i mean yeah go ahead but and Keep was going. there like in the moment where she had finally said i'm i'm done enabling your bullshit like yeah that was that was a powerful moment, right? That was the moment where it was like her drawing those hard boundaries about what was acceptable and what was not is in a lot of ways, what spurred you to make the changes needed to be where you're at today. Right. Right. I I think I had this moment where I was like, my punching bag doesn't want me, doesn't want to be punched anymore. And I'm speaking metaphorically. Like I was never, you know, I, I was never physically abusive. I was always really emotionally abusive, though, and super manipulative. And I feel like this person I was pushing this torrent of unhappiness on was finally like, I'm done. Like, I'm done doing this, dude. Like, 
unless you make a change in your life, I can no longer continue doing this. And that was a huge wake up call because she had never done that before. And uh, yeah, within our relationship, I think, yeah, she absolutely enabled me. Yeah. And that's no, that's no detriment on her end. I'm not like, no, you know what I mean? Holding it against her. She's just rolling. She loved, she loves me and I love her. And she was just rolling with the way things were. And these are Jerry's hangover days. And, Merry Christmas, here's a handle of whiskey, and it's okay, you were drunk, I get it, you know, those first few times, but then it's okay, you were drunk turns into, like, you can't just be drunk all the time and treating me like this, you know, um, but yeah, there was definitely, and I don't really want to get into her psychology too deep, because I would feel like it'd be a disservice to her, I'd rather her speak for herself, you know, in this regard, as far as, like, what mm-hmm. fueled her motivation to be like that with me, all I know is my end of it. Um, but yeah, there was absolutely, there was absolutely a lot of permissiveness. And like I said, I had set the bar. Like I had been the dominant quote unquote dominant one where I was like unintentionally dominant though, in a real subversive kind of way where I was just like, I set the limits in this relationship. Mm. If things don't work out the way I want them to work, then I'm going to be really loud. And I honestly, I think I still do it today. Yeah. There are times where I see myself doing it now and I have to question why I'm doing that. And I shut the fuck up. And then I look <laughs> at her and I'm like, yo, I'm sorry. I'm still relying on those things that worked for me in the past. You know, I set the bar here. If I'm uncomfortable, we're not doing this. If this isn't going to benefit me, why am I here? You know, and uh, I, I try to do it less. I feel like I do it less, but I catch myself doing it sometimes. And I'm like, damn, dude, that, that tool's not working. And also, this is another human being you're talking to who deserves kindness and to be heard and to be supported. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, we, yeah, we've been together for like uh, <clears throat> 14 years now. 14 years. We've been mm-hmm. married for uh, 11 years now. Mm-hmm. So... I, it, we've been through a lot together, but I think what kind of keeps us hanging around each other and 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 standing each other is that willingness. That, I talk a lot. That's why a podcast works great for me. <laughs> and so I talk through my feelings with her a lot, and she is incredibly, a, very incredibly patient, and and is really good at listening, and uh, is always sees the optimistic or the practical side to things, and so that works really well for me because I uh, tend to be really reactive, and I'm I'm less so than I used to be, but. I still am more reactive than proactive. You know, mm-hmm. It's more like this moment where I, everything hits me and I just immediately flash. Um, oh man, I'm painting myself in a horrible fucking picture here. Well, it's, I- it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just. I think our dynamic works really well, and I think a lot of it in the beginning was rooted in enabling. And I think there are times where we still enable each other in different ways. You know. It doesn't have to um, just be alcoholic. Yeah, it doesn't have to just be alcoholic yeah. behavior too. It could be mm-hmm. other other shortcomings or defects of character that we we dismiss or right. look over in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think too the 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 waters get a little muddied when we as alcoholics are in a relationship with somebody who's not an alcoholic, but they still like to drink and hang out and have fun and they have a even if they are trying to keep up with us they have a better understanding of their own limits because we do not yeah and so well, yeah she drank with us for years yeah she didn't drink like we drank but she no. would drink with us and get yeah get a little drunk and i you know and i've been in relationships too where 
And I'm looking back and thinking, oh, these people were just trying to have a good time. And I had this insatiable thirst that was going, right. that I needed to black out every single time. That was, right. that was the sometimes, un- that was the unconscious and sometimes the conscious goal was to get as drunk as possible. And yeah. that was not the You're case like, for them. <laughs> You're like, I'm not trying to unwind. I'm trying to put this fire out. Mm-hmm. You know, inside of my body, inside of my mind, I'm trying to put this fire out with whiskey. And they're thinking like, oh, John, he just likes to dance and party and take his shirt off. And Yeah, he, it's he drinks guy. a lot. He's, but he likes to party, though. He's a partier. You know, that dude loves to party. And in your mind, you're just like, man, I got to put this fucking emotional fire out somehow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, same. I did the same. I, I'm also, you know, when I think back to... Like we had a lot of good times and I know that, the, you know, this we've had this discussion argument or, you know, debate before about, oh, well, I don't want to dismiss the good times because we had a lot of good times. But like they were all for me, even though there were some fun times, there was always from like childhood, this river of unrest. I, I like all the water metaphors that we're going with today. Um, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> this river of, of unrest, you know, there right. was this this pool of um i'll stop here in a second but this like pool of of sadness you know and frustration and Uh anger and you know confusion as a young man and it was like that was that was always what it was you like you said trying to put the fire out that was inside me Mm -hmm. and so sure there were some good times but there was never a point never was there a point i feel like my drinking was not a direct reaction to my emotional instability and stunted, uh, you know, uh, um, arrested development as a human being, right? It was always a reaction to that Mm -hmm. because it was like, ooh, I don't have to grow up. I don't have to become an adult. I can ignore everything. What a great little glass of fucking magic elixir, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's... It's something that I think we enable ourselves. We ina- we we are very good. Oh I mean, yeah, <laughs> at rationalizing dude. and justifying <laughs> our shit behavior. Yes, I did it today with fucking cookies. I made cookies last night oh, nice. or the day before yesterday, right? And so like I ran my five miles yesterday, and I ended up eating like four fucking cookies, right? Because I was mm-hmm. like, I ran my five miles. I I earned those calories. And even today, like, I ate one cookie because I was like, well, I worked out. I can have one cookie after breakfast. And then as soon as I finished that one cookie, I, my body was up and already moving towards the cabinet to get another fucking cookie. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, like, damn, this is just like when you drank and you felt propelled towards the liquor cabinet, my little liquor stash, you know. But except now it's cookies because at this point I'm like, while I'm thinking this, I'm already walking back to the couch holding the cookie and eating it. Do you know what I mean? Like I did a fucking fugue state with something that made me feel good. (laughs) And because it made me feel good, I enabled myself. Well, you know, Jerry, you did lift weights today for an hour and, you know, you'll be all right. What's two cookies, you know? But to me, I'm like, well, one is good, but it made me feel good. So I need another one. And by the time I'm realizing I'm doing it, I'm I'm already halfway done with it. Yeah. and enabling myself in the moment, being like, hey, you earned it. That voice in your head is really fucking deceptive. Mm-hmm. It it's is. It's, it is for, for me. And I don't know how it is for someone who doesn't have addiction issues, whether or not it's a rational voice or it's just 
not I don't know because that voice inside my head being an alcoholic is so irrational Mm -hmm. it's so fucking crazy it is like so poisonous but can be positive if I use it correctly but it's so poisonous usually it's just like especially when I was drinking that enabling like you earned it dude it was you worked your fucking ass off you earned that drink or fuck dude she's being a fucking bitch you deserve a drink or so and so died. We need to get fucking loaded. You Someone know what was, I mean? And or so, my, I'm a I'm a new uncle. I got a the new nephew. Let's get drunk. Exactly. Get drunk. And, and we always talk about it like in an external circumstance. Like, oh, well, we just found excuses because there's all these external circumstances. But it really, honestly, is it's an internal circumstance. It's the voice in your head, mm-hmm. that little alcoholic that sits in there. That's just like. You earned this. Come hell or high water, there's a reason why you earned it. It is fucking Wednesday. That's why you earned it. You know, like, and that is enabling. That's all part of the enabling process. Is the way we talk ourselves into doing things. You know. And I mean, I would, I would even, I might say that you talk about cookies and you talk about enabling. There are good cookies and the and the little voice that justifies everything. You know, in our head about how we earned mm-hmm. it and we deserve it. Um, I mean, food in general. I would, I think that more people have food issues than actually know about them because we have we have it's so ingrained in i mean we have to eat right well and yeah, we have to yeah and also the food that i have found in this country and the way that it is produced and the way that and this is a whole nother conversation i won't delve into deeply but the way it's produced is that gluten is not your problem <laughs> produced manufactured advertised sold packaged processed sprayed all that shit is to make it as palliative as possible to the point where it's like oh it's gonna this is gonna make my mouth come this bag of cheetos you know like or yes fucking it's Dr. exactly Pepper, what it is you know and it's like mm-hmm. not every single meal needs to do that but we have been i think conditioned in a lot of ways to think that that is the most important part of a meal is that it tastes amazing and it's like Dude, no it's all about like entertaining it's like let's entertain our taste mm-hmm. buds and i'm like how about let's just get some protein in here and some fucking simple sugars so i don't die you know so i still struggle with the idea of entertaining and entertainment and like mm-hmm. and yeah. i do better because now it's a bowl of cherries and a cup of almonds rather than it you know the family size bag of peanut m&ms right <laughs> so it's a step in the right, right direction yeah. and maybe maybe food there's nothing wrong with food being entertaining but I just know no. that I took it to the extreme because that's what I do. Right. You should be entertained by your food to some extent. Why not? Mm-hmm. You know, it should be one of those things that should be make you feel good when you do it. But it, like you said, it is definitely presented to us in a really manipulative way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's so yeah. So back on the the top, I don't want again. I don't want to ramble about the food industry but um the fucking fast food nation it's gotta read the fast food nation fucking french fries man they're gonna they are gonna kill more people than uh, anyhow it's alex jones fast food nation (laughs) it's um enabling behaviors in ourselves uh, lead to all the all the shit and um and again enabling behaviors in relationships with somebody you were talking about, you were on the Al-Anon Reddit. And for those who don't know, Al-Anon, I don't want to say it's the equivalent, but it's the, um, 
it's the other part of like there's AA and then there's Al-Anon, which is for people who deal with right. alcoholics, right? And it's almost like damage control. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Al-Anon is like a meeting of the people who do damage control for all the shit people like me and John do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like in a weird way. And also the and if or parents, you know, yeah, drunk, drunk, grown up and drunk parents. That's the only way I can think of it, really. But go ahead, John. And there's also ACA, which is the Adult Children of Alcoholics, which I haven't been to any of right. those meetings, but um, I could probably I use sh- them. Yeah. Same here. But, um, I. I don't, and again, we don't have a lot of experience, but there's a, you were talking about the, the subreddit, um, Al-Anon subreddit. Right. And can you explain that story of that woman and what was the... Well, there was a post a few days ago and I was laying in bed and I should have been reading John Barleycorn. Oh, you took your headphones off. You didn't get to hear that joke. No. There was a, there, no, I was saying there was a, I was re, there was a post on, I was reading in bed the other night and I, I was saying I should have been reading John Barleycorn, but I was reading Reddit and, uh it was this woman or this person had posted a few nights ago about i guess it was this woman because she she anyway her her and her husband had separated she had been out of state she had been taking care of her parents who had covid and she wasn't hearing from her estranged husband and usually she hears from him every night usually you know he contacts her and he is an alcoholic and she's like i'm really worried because i don't know what happened you know what's going on it's not typical and then a few nights last night i was reading she had updated the post and was like yeah i had the police do a welfare check and they found him and they're dead you know he was he died died in his home because he drank himself to death and the first post really struck me because it was like as alanons this is our worst fear right here mm-hmm. right and and it it made me think about I mean, because right now I think we're talking more about romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Or even just, I mean, but we should really consider all relationships, close relationships, alcoholics. But it really struck me because when I was in relationships as an alcoholic, my biggest fear with that other person is that they would leave me for someone else, or they would cheat on me with someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was my biggest fear. It was never that they're going to die; they're going to drink themselves to death. Whereas people who are in relationships with me were like, Jerry might very well drink himself to death or get into an accident drunk or kill himself, you know, commit suicide drunk. Those are their biggest fears. So Jesus. it just really struck me. Do you know what I mean? Because that's the watermark. Mm-hmm. The, our two watermarks are so different. I was like, man, I think old girl might go out and fuck somebody else and totally break my heart. And they're like, it's a very real possibility that Jerry might hang himself drunk. Do you know what I'm saying? So like yeah. our... It just blows me away the thought of that. Like what my value system is as a person who's doing things like like my outward activity doing to another person where that person's doing back but taking more. I, I can't think of a better mm-hmm. action than doing things. Well, and it, my actions are just battering on this other person constantly and they're just taking the battering, you know. And, it, and, and that – if that – that's an extreme case and that's you know that's our you know you're living our biggest fear that the that the person we love is right. going to kill themselves right. with alcohol um right. whether intentionally or unintentionally and the yes. thing i would say for myself is that there would be no amount of coddling or giving me a safe space to drink or allowing me to drink or um, making sure that I was quote unquote safe to drink or taking care of me or excusing my behavior or supporting it in any way that would lead to a better outcome ultimately. You know, it would just, do you know what I mean? Like it's hard, 
it's hard to see that and be like, gosh, if I, if only I had been there. And that was, I believe in those situations that an alcoholic is going to kill himself with alcohol, regardless of how much you cater to his alcoholism or her alcoholism, their alcoholism. And the only thing that, the only thing that ever made me change my mind was the, the people and the situations around me that drew boundaries and said, no more, we're done with you. We're done with you. We're done with you. And that was the thing that spurred me into action, not, oh, well, maybe if, maybe if I just, you know, tried to organize some way to like just drink on the weekends or just drink beer or, or I just won't drink around her. Bargaining. Right. So Mm -hmm. none of those things were, are going to help. It was only in people standing up for themselves against me and people choosing not to deal with my bullshit that I eventually came to the realization that this was not a good thing anymore. I don't think there was ever a time where somebody was kind or, um, not that they're not, not that kindness and patience is not important, but it's not, it's like tough love, right? It has to be because that's the only thing that I think any of us respond to. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't want to, I'm generalizing here, but I, yes and no, it's, it's, okay. it's weird. Right. Cause while you're talking, I'm thinking about this and it's like, uh, it, it seems to be that within these relationships, these, uh, enabling alcoholic and then alcoholic enabler relationships is that the, the enabler wants the alcoholic to change something, yes. change their behavior towards them. Okay. So you can continue drinking, which is what mm. my wife said. She said, you want to keep drinking, you keep drinking. You just got to stop treating me like the way you're treating me. And in my mind, I knew that I was just going to keep treating that way if I was drinking. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's like to change something. Either you quit drinking, quit treating me this way, or I can change you. Or maybe you'll figure out a way to change on your own if I just put enough pressure on you. But the alcoholic, you can't change the alcoholic. You just can't. You can't make a drunk stop drinking. The drunk has to determine that it's finally their time to stop and even then it may not be their time they may not take you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's such a fucking fucked up situation and so i think in my situation i had someone tell me something and it stuck you know it stuck my behavior was not working and it wasn't working for me either you know i think it's there were absolutely selfish reasonings for me to get sober because I was like, uh, not only am I taking a crap on everybody else, but I feel like shit all the time and I don't want to feel like shit anymore. So I'm doing it for me too, mm-hmm. you know, more me than anybody else. And uh, yeah, I, I really think in these enabling relationships, the other person is always trying to change their their partner, you know, or the person that they're in this relationship with, right? Mm-hmm. And you and I realize that there is some, it sounds awful and I don't mean to be negative, but there's some futility to it. And trying to change some, there's absolutely futility in trying to change another person because that person doesn't want to mm-hmm. change, doesn't want you to change them. Right. They need to, they need to do it on their own. That's the bitch on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, it only really sticks if they do it on their own. In my experience, it never sticks when they make you do it. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? You're going to make me do something, especially an addict or an alcoholic. So fucking rebellious and resistant. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not going to do this because you all had a fucking intervention. Like, now I realize, now I just feel bad and drunk. 
Right. You know, I feel like I'm more of a piece of shit and I'm drunk. Sometimes they work though. Like I can't say that once again, paying with a broad brush. I can't say that that's true in every case. Just from what I've experienced myself personally. The, and as yeah. a drunk man of the world. <laughs> as a drunk man of the world. Ding. Watch out, you know, world. Like, yeah. Watch out, world. Here I come. I think my understanding of Al-Anon and of dealing with alcoholics is that there are certain behaviors and ways of living and being and and defining your boundaries that will help yeah. lead them to making a decision on their own more so than than if you did not right if you don't right if you don't give in to those enabling behaviors if you if you stand your ground about what's important to you and they see that that will be more helpful right than if you just kind of yes get them a cold compress yes. for their hangover day on the couch right and a 12 pack yeah and a 12 you're pack. absolutely right and the Al-Anon thing i can't speak for that because I, I but i know it's the support group just like we have for mm-hmm. each other you know it's just them being like yo what did your dumb ass do yesterday all right let's support each other you know mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you're absolutely right i think maybe the point i think you're trying to make is that once you exhaust all the opportunities for an alcoholic to continue behaving the way they behave you exhaust those chances and opportunities for them to keep doing it maybe it shines enough light on their problem that they are willing to make the change themselves yeah right well i i don't think and i certainly don't think that anybody yes yes they need to they need to do it but we adapt really we adapt good though we do like cockroaches dude (laughs) i just don't there should never be any and it's hard man like i don't know everybody's experience and and but I would right. never, I would never, I have made people in my life who were not alcoholics that I was in relationships and feel bad, feel guilty, feel ashamed, mm-hmm. feel, mm-hmm. feel less than like I have done all those things and that none of them deserved any of it. Zero. Right. Right. So, so I don't think anybody deserves that shit from an alcoholic spouse, an alcoholic partner, an alcoholic friend, an alcoholic father, an alcoholic mother, right? That you don't right. you don't deserve mm-hmm. any of that shit just because you put up with it this long. <laughs> it doesn't mean you deserve yeah. it. It's just normalized. No. You know? Well, I also think the enabler adapts just as well as the alcoholic, oh, you know. They hum- adapt. Yeah. Humans in general adapt, but yeah. I really feel like there's something about desperation that causes one to adapt pretty quickly uh, unless they get trampled <laughs> by it, you know? But, but uh, yeah, and I would hate for this one pod for me and you to be like, we were awful, horrible, shitty people, mea culpa. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I don't want it to be like I was this garbage person because I was a garbage person, but I don't feel like I'm a garbage person anymore. And I mean, I could drag my wife in here and be like, baby, am I a garbage person? And she'd be like, first of all, don't call me baby. And second of all... <laughs> you never call me baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> I know. I've never called her that ever. But you'd be like, yo, am I still a garbage person? And she's going to be like, well, no, dude. Like, get the... What the fuck are you doing? I guess my point is like, I, I'm aware of my faults. And I'm aware of what I did. And I try every day to like make up for what I did. Mm-hmm. And it, at the end of the day, it's up to her. Do you know what I mean? To mm-hmm. either... You resolve it forgive me and then we can resolve it or, or or fucking hold on to it but you know she hasn't really held on to much of it 
Yeah. She's been like, hey, you're cool. You're moody, but you're cool. Like, it's all good. Like, you don't do that shit anymore. So right. that's what counts, you know? So that being said, like, the enabling thing is weird. Enabling behavior is weird for both of us to speak on. It's not, it is and isn't. Because I have enabled, like I said, I've enabled the shit out of myself quite a bit. And mm-hmm. I've enabled you. Mm-hmm. I've absolutely enabled have. you. I've called you up when you were in the deadest of hangovers and been like, what do you need? And you're like, get me two Sparks and a fucking six pack. And I would get you two cans of Sparks and a six pack at eight in the morning. And why? Why would you do that? So we could keep the exactly. ball rolling. <laughs> exactly. Let's, uh, like I wasn't going to get myself two Sparks and bring over that last quarter of whiskey uh, I had. Uh-huh. You know? And so there was yeah, always dude. those things. What was the... I just remember so many times of like... We used to joke, and so that, but it was, it was, it was about food. We were very, 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 very broke. And there was, back in the 90s, there was this thing called Boys Town, and you would get commercials for Boys Town, and it was like, you know, runaway yeah. kids, and, you know, they could go, and there would yeah. be a place where runaway kids could get together, and there would be, you know, mentors and people to help take care of them. And it was like, it was like for homeless runaway kids. And so we used to joke and yeah. be like, man, it's like Boys Town. We just got to all get together and we, we, we try to feed each other or feed ourselves and be like, yes, I got a can. Yeah. Of, I got mm-hmm. a can of tuna and some frozen veggies. Mm-hmm. You got any mac and cheese over there? Yeah. I got two boxes of mac yeah. and cheese and some butter come mm-hmm. over and we'll put it all together. And the same thing mm-hmm. with, we did the same thing. With I mean, eat like fucking like, Kings. Eat like Kings though. Wait, I want to circle back to this. We'd sit on my living room floor in my shitty apartment mm-hmm. that was totally run by a slumlord and we'd eat like fucking king. We'd eat that GNU stew like kings, right? Because we'd call it GNU stew. It would be like tuna, frozen vegetables, mac and cheese, and then two fucking 12 packs and watch mm-hmm. whatever I could pick up on the rabbit ears on my TV, which is usually just 90s whatever and just eat like kings like we were shitting in tall grass awesome. dude oh we yeah it was a it was a it, there was there was a there was a beauty to it but it was also like right like that was the thing like what can we cobble together because we've got to find a way to get fucked up and, and, and we've we got did it with booze you're absolutely right so i mean i always would be like oh you got you got a bottle of whiskey i'll bring over some beer or whatever it was and vice versa or like you said right. sparks in the mm-hmm. morning which, for anybody who doesn't know what Sparks, Sparks. are, it was the original Four Loco. <laughs> yeah. You, you got any of that pre-band? Remember that they banned it? And I was like, you got any of that pre-band Four Loco? That's mm-hmm. the good shit, the pre-band. Mm. But yeah, so we all cobbled shit together. We all enabled each other because it. if I enabled you, and I can't, once again, I cannot speak for other people, but I know in our relationship, if I enabled you, I would benefit from it as well. And I feel like sometimes within that enabling process with other relationships, if you enable the drunk as a non-drunk, the drunk will be much nicer and it benefits you. And that's not a bad thing. But on our end, it was Mm -hmm. definitely manipulative. Because I was like, if I can get you loaded, I know I have enough to get you kind of loaded and that you work at a bar and you have enough money to get both of us really loaded. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what about my water bill? And I'd be like, I bet you can't shotgun a beer with me. You know what I mean? And then from there, fucking water bill. We're going down to fucking, you know, to what was that hole, that bar, that tiny hole in the wall. We'd go there. But yeah, anyway. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of this bar. Which one? Sobriety podcast. The one next to the Balmar. uh, The one that was named after the singer. Not the smoke shop. Hazelwood. Hazelwood. Hazelwood, thank you. Yeah, hazel hole, yeah. The hazel hole. Well, um, yeah. And I don't, there's nothing, I really don't think there's anything wrong with having a bar, owning a bar, and having people who, going out to have drinks and people who can handle it. I just cannot do that. 
You cannot do that. That's not our jam. Yeah. Dude, just because I almost drowned at a water park once doesn't mean I want to ban all water parks. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So just because I can't handle my shit doesn't mean that the people who can't handle this shit aren't allowed to go out and get a little loose every once in a while or just feel a little warm or be like, hmm, this cognac's delicious. You know, Mm -hmm. like fucking cognac delicious. Ew. Just drink it fast. You know, like. Get it down. And you, yeah. you brought up a good point I want to go back to about the, the non-alcoholic saying, oh, if I enable the alcoholic, they'll be nicer to me. And yeah. there's this, again, this, this hostage situation that I know I felt as a kid with my dad was like, right. figure out the behaviors that will make him, because, because his behaviors were so erratic and unpredictable, mm-hmm. if I could somehow push those erratic and unpredictable behaviors in the positive or in the calmer <clears throat> um, way, that's what I would work toward. And so that became sort of my motivation for anything that I did with him was what's going to make him calm? What's going to make him more relaxed? What's going to make him not fucking oh, angry and drunk and get right, off my back? Right. But those behaviors were not helpful to him. It was just me. Again, you, we talked about it at the top of the hour triage you're just doing damage control like what is the how am i not gonna get hit in the mouth tonight and that's terrible to say but it's true you know you learn how to blend it with the wallpaper i did Mm -hmm. that too but in different situations though because Mm -hmm. and go ahead continue your thought that's i mean that my my thought is that i mean this it's very 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 hard to take a stand certainly as a child um, but also if you're in a relationship with an alcoholic who is abusive in any yeah. way, it's hard to take a stand. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, God, I'm stuck. I'm trapped. And so I think that's why something like Al-Anon can actually give you the tools to, to navigate those relationships or, yeah. or to yeah. leave them. Right. Which Cause sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't like mm-hmm. leave them. You know, sometimes you can't sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes though you make excuses why you can't just like I made excuses why I couldn't quit drinking. Mm hmm. You know, and I see that sometimes with people where they're just like, well, I can't because of this, this and this. And I was like, yeah, I, I told myself I couldn't get drinking because I was afraid of getting sick or I couldn't afford rehab or whatever fucking excuse I had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all we all have excuses, I guess. And you were saying a different situation. Making, you were talking about a different situation. I was talking about my dad and you said, oh, a different because situation. as a child, also of an adult child of alcoholics, you know, like my dad wasn't around. My dad was a nice drunk my dad was not mean my dad was like a cool drunk my mom was a cool drunk too my mom was just mean when she wasn't drunk you know what i'm saying (laughs) and so there was that period of time for like eight hours every day where she wasn't drunk during the day when she had to do shit and she was mean as fuck but my dad was just never around but if on the those very rare occasions my parents would get into it i would just fucking fade into the background like i learned how to camouflage you know like homer in the bushes and Right, exactly. And there were the few times where I like tried to clap up on my dad when I was around Olive's age, like 10 or 11, and he just was drunk and shut it down immediately, you know, and that, you know, he shut it down quick and mean. And I realized, Mm -hmm. oh shit, I don't need to fuck with my dad and challenge him. So I'm just going to fade into the woodwork. I'm just not going to be here. That's why I said I wasn't around much because I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I would just lock myself in my room or just leave, like leave, be an 11 year old out there in the world on a BMX bike. Just right, just being away from them, you know. So it was, it was more like not me manipulating my behavior so that I wouldn't catch a beating, but just, I guess it was in a sense, but also in a sense, how gone can I be 
so that I don't catch a beating or an emotional beating or whatever it was, you know. But you and I, though, and you can relate. I saw you relating that just being invisible. Mm-hmm. If I make the least amount of noise as possible, I'm quiet as possible, I won't be in their fucking, their, their shit lasers. Yeah. <laughs> their that, radar, you know, their shit no lasers. Boom. No, it sucks because, like, the way I live with my kid, I'm like, I want to hear you. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm curious. I fucking made you. Like, I want to see where my investment is going. What's going on with the Olive Corporation? <laughs> you know, I, you know well, like, I, we I'm don't, very curious. We know? don't really talk about it too much. I mean, because we, we spend most of our time talking about alcoholism. But I was curious. Like, it trips me out, man, that you have a kid. And, like, she's 10. And yeah. she's got her own mind and her own thoughts and her own feelings. Yeah. And she likes to do yeah, other stuff. And we, we started playing this video game together. It's this co-op game called Knights and Bikes. And it's like a little top-down game. You look mm-hmm. at the characters on the top and they do things. And it's an indie game. And it's really pretty. The art is beautiful. And it's all about these two little girls and their imagination. But it's a really complex kind of story. Like one of the little girls, like her mother dies and the father's coping with it. And then at one point in the mm. game, they're dealing with the father and he's drunk. And Olive's like, how sad he's drunk. And it, I just realized, like, my kid's never seen me drunk. Like, I was drunk up until the point. To my kid hasn't seen me drunk being aware of me being drunk. You right. know, I was drunk till my daughter was about four. Right. Right? Yeah. And I think those early years, I was drunk around her. But if she was so young, the process was different. You yeah. know, now she's aware of it. So she's never seen me, like, as an aware kid, as a drunk person. But, yeah, I totally got a kid that I hang out with. You know, mm. and, like... I'll paint in the garage most of the day and then every 45 minutes, every hour, I come back into the house to use the bathroom or to fill up a paint tank or to get a soda. And every single time, I'm like, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I know drives are crazy, but I'm like, literally like, what's going on? I haven't seen you in 45 minutes. Anything new? You choking? You good? Like, <laughs> anything on fire? Are you happy? Do you need something? And uh, yeah, that's our, I mean, this quarantine, I just spend a ton of time with her now. I see her all the time. I love it. She's hilarious. Yeah, she's a ten-year-old. Yeah, she's trying to figure out. They dyed her hair pink last night, <laughs> like her and Megan. So yeah, but yeah, it is a trip that I have a kid, and I was the first one, and I think I'm the only one out of our group, our little star party. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that has a kid. Yeah, I am um, wrong arm, but yeah, <laughs> I just think it's I think it's kids. great that you don't that she, well that she doesn't have to contend with any of that stuff. Right. I hope she doesn't. Right, and right. that's all I can do is just make sure. For anybody's fucking sake, other than mine, like make sure she doesn't, you mm-hmm. know. And I hope she doesn't, mm-hmm. you know. I, I don't, I don't intend on it. But once again, <clears> like you said, we can't really think about six months from now. I mean, because it's uncertain. So all I got to do is just maintain working with you and working with myself, and yeah, do you know what I mean? Working my program and just keeping mm-hmm. my shit together and emotionally to make sure that kid doesn't have to be like, fuck, I need to fade into the woodwork because dad's fucking loaded. Mm-hmm. And, and flashing his shit lasers everywhere and what a I mean I would say I'm saying what a relief like but she doesn't even know that and that's an amazing thing no. like mm-hmm. there's no right. there's no like oh what a relief I don't have to do that anymore because she's never had to do yeah. that you know and like never never that's that's awesome I mean what a what a fucking <laughs> what a leg up in the world <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah I got really lucky <laughs> I got really lucky I really do I feel very lucky that I I fucking figured it I mean not figured it out but I've figured out that being living drunk is not it's not working for me like I got lucky in that sense that I mm-hmm. figured it out yeah and this gives you an, an, an ability or a potential or an opportunity to to 
enable in a positive way, right? To support and right. be like, hey, right. what are the things mm -hmm. that what are the things that you really want to do well at? What are the things that you want to shine at? What are the things that you're good at? What are the things that you need help with? And you can kind of mm -hmm. push those positive support and enabling in directions to the people around you rather than it having to be damage control. Right. You can actually build mm -hmm. something with what 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 we have now, what you have now. Right. And that's funny because we never really did talk about the positive aspects of enabling in this podcast because there are positive enable. Like I can enable you to continue doing whatever it is you're doing that's positive for you. I can enable you in your singing career or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm glad that I could do positive enabling with her. And there are still things that float around, you know, that come up, you know, that I get impatient or snap at her. And then Megan will be like, yo, she, you know, she's really, that makes her feel shitty. And I'm like, you're right. You know, I would feel shitty if my dad would snap at me, you know, but I'm more aware of those things now. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Well, I think even like. It's, it's weird up in this house. Dude. We've been <laughs> hanging out together now since fucking March, March. dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she like never went back to school from spring break. You know, we're just it's it's crazy. Well, it's weird. I mean, in a good way, it's fun, but it also is really weird. You you know, it, it's yeah, it's it's it it can be a good thing and it can be a bonding thing and and it's just you know, the level of support that can be that can come from enabling people to do positive things in sobriety. You yeah. know, like we've talked mm -hmm. we talked about running and I remember I remember when we would talk about it, you're like, yeah, man, I can't really run. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need the yeah. right shoes. I I, I kind of walk my couple of miles and that's about it. And now you're like, I'm yeah. fucking five miles every day or maybe not every day, but yeah. still. Like, no, I run five miles two days a week. I run five miles. I try to do it three days a week. I did yeah. two and a half without stopping yesterday. Nice. You know, without stopping for a break because mm -hmm. I've been taking your advice and pacing myself. But I also look at my Fitbit and my Fitbit will be like, oh, you're a little underpaced that whole time. And I was like, I don't give a fuck about paces. I'm looking for longevity. And then once I get longevity, then I can right. start learning pace again. I mean, I had a nine minute mile nice a few weeks ago and was like yeah dog killing it but it was also downhill too so you know i can't really be like you know momentum mm -hmm. so but, i think yeah. that there's i think that we we have to remove all of that mess and triage and all the damage and destruction so that we can actually start building something and be a part be a be part of a constructive relationship be part of a, a right a, be part of whatever the community is, however large or small right. it is, right? Right, right. Because at the end of the day, man, you just, you don't, nobody really deserves that shit. Nobody. You know, to feel that way, nobody really does. That I can think of off the top of my head. If y'all can think anybody deserves it, let me know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think so. I'll give it to them. No, exactly. You know, like. But yeah. But it's a. Uh, it's just a, it's it's still a hard thing, and it takes time, and it takes patience, and you know, like I read out of that. Did I read out of that book on? Did I read you about the the hatred? Oh, I didn't. So I've been reading. I'm gonna read this really quickly, and it's from the. Uh, I'm reading the Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama, which is really good. It's got mm -hmm. some. It's his conversations with this um, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, but. Um, and this one is called Dealing with Anger and Hatred. And it says, The only factor that can give you refuge or protection from the destructive effects of anger and hatred is your practice of tolerance and patience. And I think that's really true. Now, it doesn't mean, mm -hmm. again, it doesn't mean fold over and let people run over you. But having tolerance and patience can help you make better decisions. It, helps, it has helped yeah. me make better decisions about how I go forward with my relationships and the actions and getting the results that I want. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did read it. Did I? Maybe you read it before we started recording. Yeah, I did. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's read. But I think tolerance and patience, It's it's if it's been read twice, it's a great message. All right, <laughs> motherfuckers? All right, fools. <clears throat> take that. It's all about fucking tolerance and patience. Get your shit together. Put it in your back. We're here to scare you straight with love. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. So you you know just uh, I think it's a it's a good thing for me to this is a good reminder to me to 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 be more aware of my own behaviors with myself and others. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Right on. And with that, we'll call we'll wrapping it, it up. Um, wrap it up, B. Wrap it wrap up, it B. Up. <laughs> All right, Jerry. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you later too, man. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>